This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by McVitie's Employment Agency. Do you have charm, vitality, personality, experience, and youth? Ask Mr. Goldberg for help finding an exciting new position. Free hobnobs with every consultation. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Gladys. I don't think we've heard from Gladys in a while. She makes her little appearances here and there, whenever she chimes in. <laughs> has she um, has she come out of hibernation since uh, winter seems to be slowly melting away? Well, she is a bell, so she was very chilly for oh, a long no, time. Oh, no, froze again. But she's good, so. All right. Anyway, yeah, so hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Unanimous. Um, how is everyone? How are you? Um, I'm doing quite all right. You know, very happy that it is staying light later, that it is getting less cold, uh, that there is a preponderance of vaccines, to use a great malaprop from uh, Mrs. Slocum. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we seem to be getting smaller by smaller. You know, all those little orgasms news. floating around, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, keep up, keep up the good spirits, folks. Uh, you know, when you need a break from... The cruel, cruel world. Come take a listen to us, and we'll try and cheer you up with the um, with the staff of Grace Brothers. Yeah. So every now and then, Mr. Jeff will say, uh, "Back in the back in that day when the episode originally aired, we'll give you some historical factoids about what happened that week." And for a while, they were getting kind of dark, you know. <laughs> so uh, what, what's a lovely thing that we just learned today here at uh, that does suit headquarters that does suit Madam Headquarters in Northern Mississippi. Um, we should all have enough vaccines here in the States to everyone get vaccinated by the end of May, which is around the corner. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, there's going to be enough vaccine for everyone to get uh, vaccinated by the end of May. Will but it happen? Will it happen? Do we'll have the logistics in order to be able to deliver them, you know, and more and more stores are coming online, more and more pharmacies. Um, they're opening up more uh, local sites and state run, run sites. And so I think it's just, we're going to see an exponential growth for the next two months in terms of availability. Some guys and... in the back alleys are starting to offer COVID vaccines. <laughs> oh no. Oh, come on. Talk about dark. That's true. That's yeah. true. But speaking of dark, we've been uh, experiencing <laughs> our rays of sunshine, the antithesis of dark through social media and such. Have we not, Mr. Jeff? We have. We have indeed, Mr. Brandon. We have. <laughs> uh, we've heard from a lot of new fans on our Facebook page. Kai, Loco, Jay, Leslie, Thomas, and Robbie, welcome. Um, we got a great, great tweet from a 70s street fan who runs a Twitter account about um, 70s British TV shows. Hello, hello. And they informed us that um, the word bitch was actually used rather casually pre-watershed times up until the early 90s. So, so gosh, Jeff, what is a pre-watershed time? What is that? Uh, right. So the watershed is uh, when they, in the UK, when they decide is family-friendly TV. Uh, and then after the watershed is when you can start showing more 
more sex, more violence, more curse words, etc. More fucking yeah. sex. <laughs> we are um, explicitly rated, so you have to be 18 or more older to listen to these naughty words. There you go, right? <laughs> uh, this was this was back in referencing Mrs. Slocum's senior person mm-hmm. when yep. um, Mrs. Cumlozy called her a silly bitch, exactly, right? <laughs> I think I, uh, Mrs. Cumlozy Cum- is one of my favorite people, just because we have Turkish and Egyptian <laughs> culture and... Love it. So cool. And she did such a good job. Like, coming in, she was clearly exasperated that this silly woman was asking her to come all the way upstairs just to show her some soap. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, that's good. Um, we also got a great email from superfan Jay from Delaware. What's up, Jay? And uh, Stuart from the UK who is asking about our experience watching uh, on PBS in, yeah. uh, in the States. And saying that you know, we take uh, a, can- a tea break uh, to pause for our own advertisements when our podcast is sponsored. We need some more – we need some gelt, people. Come on. Give us cash. <laughs> um, and Stuart was wondering if we had a commercial experience uh, when watching it uh, here in America. And yeah. the answer, Stuart, is no. Uh, public television, which is funded by the government, um, does not have commercials. You might hear in the beginning of a show that, you know, you'll have a voiceover that this show was brought to you by so-and-so, just like, you know, we do for um, laughs on our podcast, but there's no break. So Sesame Street runs for 59 minutes straight. You know, there's no commercial with, like, Ernie selling you toothpaste or Big Big Bird trying to push cookies, right? Um, Although there's plenty of commercials on regular television of Sesame doing that. Even, like, when you're watching... um Downton Abbey. And then you have like this episode of, and it's always like a British person. This episode of Downton Abbey is brought to you by the McVitie's Cookie Company. Don't forget <laughs> McVitie's on your tea break. And it's not a technical commercial, but it is. So we're, that's true. Like, you know, uh, they spot, they show a lot of cookery shows. And so at the beginning of the end, you know, Lydia's Italian home cooking is sponsored by Barilla Pasta. And, you know, um, Bosch uh, cook mealy cookware and whatever. Yeah, so Mrs. Right. Haversham's old fashioned olive oil or whatever. <laughs> Mrs. Haversham, I have to, that's the random name right. I came up with from Great Expectations <laughs> for Lydia's Italian cooking. Great job, of course. Right? <laughs> so, dear unanimous, please, um, you know, even though we are hoping that we're approaching the near end of the pandemic. Please continue to do your part and wear a mask and wash your hands. Um, and as always, um, Black, Black Lives Matter. Lives Matter. And last, about, last about this. Also today, Texas announced that they have absolutely no, next week no more and Mississippi and Mississippi and probably Missouri and Arkansas coming up. All yeah. of these southern states are like, "Hey, COVID's done. Y'all don't have to do anything more. No more masks. Everything's open. Just because you can, don't mean you should. So right. watch yeah. out, so, folks." Um, you know, follow the rules. A, a lot of the big cities in those states are saying, all right, we're going to implement our own rules if the state doesn't. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So please, please continue to wear a mask. Um, but that being said, you've all done very well. You've all done yes, indeed. Except for those governors. <laughs> um, so, Mr. Jeff, so <laughs> what are we talking about this, uh, this evening on the, or morning or afternoon, depending where you are, uh, on the podcast? Today we're talking about Series 7, Episode 8, The Agent, which originally premiered on November 30th, 1979. And that week in the news, trying for mostly good news here. Happy, happy. Pink Floyd released The Wall, which sold 6 million copies in two weeks. Oh. 
And, okay, that's pretty good. That's good news. And Ted Koppel became anchor of the ABC Nightly News. And here's where the bad news is, mostly mm. due to the Iran hostage situation. Jeff, you were doing so well. I know, I know. A good That's friend a- of mine, actually, going back to the uh, Pink Floyd, so some people are like uh, concert freaks. They go to mm-hmm. every concert they've ever possibly could. He went to go see Pink Floyd's The Wall in concert, I think, in New York. And I think they only did like five or six concerts. Um, so he saw it, and he was like one of, I don't know, a thousand people total who ever saw it. So if you're a wow. Pink Floyd fan, yeah, my friend Ray, a little jealous. And I worked with a woman who saw the Beatles live in uh, in San Francisco, and I was extremely jealous. But I she's also 70, so you have to be a certain <laughs> age. You know, I was just aged That's out of true. that. That's true. So what happens? In the episode. So we start the episode with Mr. Harmon bringing Mr. Rumbold his uh, coffee. And um, it seems that the canteen has switched to instant coffee. And he directs him that there's you better drink it right away because there's only one instant where it actually tastes like coffee. <laughs> now, Americans, we don't hold instant coffee close to our hearts quite like those our friends in Europe. Is that right? That's true. You know, it, it has uh, it had its popularity in the 70s. Uh, but it's definitely a substitute. You know, I think that most instant people, most people turn to instant coffee if they want a decaf version or like Sanka or something like that, right? Rather than yeah. Taster's Choice or whatever. Um, I don't drink coffee, so I do keep instant coffee for guests. Uh, everyone usually turns it down because they'd rather have the real thing. <laughs> like, um, um, I'll just have warm water, please. Exactly, <laughs> right. But yeah, but I mean, instant coffee is much more prevalent in Europe where uh, because also they have a coffee culture. And of course we have uh, a former co-host uh, of the show who was on a super fan works at Bellissimo Coffee Works that's right in Iowa. So oh, that's uh, right, yeah. If you're if you're in Iowa and you see Bellissimo Coffee Works start singing the Are You Being Surf theme song and they'll know what you, what's what's going on. <laughs> so they don't serve instant there is the point. Right. They'll serve the real, real coffee with real, real cream. cream and sugar. <laughs> so it turns out that today is Friday, which is payday. And Mr. Harmon usually takes the pay packets down to the staff in a wire basket. But so Mr. Rumbold uh, lets him know that they're going to – they have a new mechanical security wage dispenser where the accounts clerk is going to dispense it. And he's supposed to be the security ex- uh, ex- escort. Uh, and I think it's um, – you know, this is one of those things about UK English that I didn't pick up on for a long time, mm. that they pronounce the word clerk as Clark, like Clark Kent or Clark Griswold. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't even notice that. How yeah. funny. And so Harmon starts getting on his union soapbox about his his job being taken away. Am I being made redundant? Right. But it turns out that he's getting an extra two pounds a week for the job. So he Whoa. signs up for it, right? Yeah. Um, we go out onto the shop floor, and Mrs. Slocum finishes serving a customer and immediately resumes her gossip with Miss Brahms. Like, <laughs> like she, she doesn't does. even finish turning away from the customer. And says, <laughs> I love so it as I was that. saying, right, me and Mrs. Axelby, yeah. we're not going to Spain this year because it's just become so common. So right? common. Of course, Mrs. Slocum is not common in the least. No, of course How not. How dare you? Right? And I think always think about um, 
in Absolutely Fabulous Bubble. Series 5 where <laughs> Bubble starts to uh, go to Bond Street and go shopping for Eddie. And she's like, oh, it was like Petticoat Junction in there. Oi, Tracy. Nom, 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 nom. Pass me a Gucci belt, will you? It's so common. It's so common. It's lost too all its much. Posh. Too, too much. much right? <laughs> so um, Mrs. Slocum went to a, ho- a caravan camp last year, and she actually got hypnotized. And the hypnotist artist made her do the head, a headstand and the can-can dance, right? Ooh. And so she's passing her pictures, and Miss Brahms pulls the best face when she <laughs> kind of, like, is in disgust at looking at Mrs. Slocum doing, like, the can-can in these pictures, right? Well, also, like, her doing a handstand, and you imagine she's probably wearing a dress, and her dress has probably fallen down. Is... Right, so you can see her directoire knickers. Ooh, very sexy. I also... Um... Love how I think Mrs. Mrs. Slocum said something like, uh, "Last time I went to Spain," or she said one of those jokes where um, she was expecting all these dirty men to hit on them, right? And we they did in their night dresses with their door open, and nothing happened. Nothing, right? happened. and she was so disappointed with her right. green hair. <laughs> so, if Mrs. Slocum was doing a true can-can, she probably wouldn't have been wearing knickers at all. Right? Because that dance originated in the 1820s, and it was meant to be provocative because the dancers wore open crotch pantalettes. Pantalettes. Was, I was yeah. wondering. I was wondering what that word was <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And so, um, the the can can for those of you who don't know that's that uh, really famous French dance where you usually have four ladies in a row who are doing very high kicks or, uh, rond jambes where they basically do a rotary movement of their knee and just like have their legs spin around. <laughs> um, and of course the can-can is most famously associated with, um, the comic opera Orpheus in the Underworld by, uh, Jacques Offenbach. So if, and Bugs Bunny. And Bugs Bunny. That's also true. Yeah. So if you are ever on Jeopardy Unanimous, remember that, that the, uh, it's Jacques Offenbach who wrote the opera that the Can-Can song is most famous for. Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> And when the hypnotist snapped his fingers to kind of wake the person out of their daze, that the entire audience would blow a raspberry. And so on cue, Captain Peacock snaps his fingers to get Mrs. Logan's attention, mm. and she just gives him a raspberry. Right? And the audience, the studio audience, erupts in rapturous laughter. I think yeah. like it's one of those weird things about the show that we just don't have that in the States. Like, like... Oh, I, I don't even understand what it means. Why is it a big... Of course, it's supposed to be like a poop sound. A flatulent sound, right. Something. And like, I know it's like poop, like potty humor is hilarious. And this was, you know, 45 years ago or whatever. But it just means nothing <laughs> it's, me. well, it's not an insult here. Like here, it's more of a sign of um, apathy. Yeah. Like, like blah. How'd like, you do uh, at the casino? <laughs> Exactly, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. it's not an insult. So uh, mm. that's a point of cultural difference. Um, yes. So we have a customer come into the gent side with his hands in his <laughs> raincoat pockets looking for Mr. Humphreys. That's the gentleman I want to speak to. He's just like leering and has like a funny right. hat and he looks like he's a flasher. So yeah. funny. Love it. I'm going to show you something that's very shocking in a minute. <laughs> I no, better put, put on my, my glasses, glasses then. For this, right? <laughs> I um, love it. He's played by Jeffrey Siegel, who we saw a couple of years ago 
in series three, ah. episode three of Captain Peacock. He mm-hmm. was the clip-on bow tie. I didn't I want a washing n- machine. I would have preferred a... I have never been available for a clip-on bow tie in Captain Peacock. Ah. Well, he's all... <laughs> no, I was thinking he was the, the husband of the woman who didn't want a vacuum. She wanted a washing machine. And uh, she wore the, the blue dress with the feathers and she ripped the arms off. And But no, that was someone else. Oh, it's all coming out now, isn't it? Yes. It's that woman on the contometer. It all adds up. <laughs> but what about me? He was wasting the best years of his life with you. <laughs> he wants someone who's fun and energetic. So uh, the, the shocking thing the customer has to show is the sweater comes down to his knees. It looks like a mini dress, right? Hmm. And um, he followed the instructions to the letter. He washed it in lukewarm water. He used a mild detergent, soft water, but he hung it up to dry. That's the problem. I love how Mr. Humphreys does this thing where he always tries to, like, catch the guy. Oh, did you do this? Well, did you about – what about that? Did you do it this way? Did you hold out your tongue to the left when you did it? Did you raise <laughs> your right arm? Did you wiggle your toes while you pressed the button? You did? Ah, that was the problem. You're not supposed to wiggle your toes as you press the button, you know. He well, did that in the last episode, too, I think. Th- that's the entire spiel, right? Because they're going to try anything they can to not give that money out of the till, right? <laughs> uh, yes. He gives he gives a spiel that the garment is made of giraffe wool. <laughs> um, and he has to dry it in sunlight, but not before 2 o'clock, and preferably with a cool westerly breeze, right? Gives these yeah. very specific instructions. But then says, if you have any trouble, don't hesitate to bring it back. Good morning. But then it's not his problem but you're, anymore. You're never going to get the money. You could try, but yeah. you're not going right? to. I love how he says that um, it's like the cows. When the cows are tired or when they're wet, they lay down. Same thing with, with giraffes. If they didn't um, – I, I can't – I mean, of course, there's no logic to it because it doesn't make sense. Right. They're but next to like, get all soggy and yeah. – Yeah, and they they'd form folds and they would trip as they gallop away. So you <laughs> picture giraffes with like sagging skin and – oh, my God. So funny. Yeah. And the way his, his handling of that, John Inman, was just like boom, boom, boom. So Yeah, good. really good timing there. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Goldberg remarks on what a good salesman Mr. Humphreys is. He's got a great career with the right person behind him. Uh, and this is a little bit of foreshadowing about what's supposed to happen in the rest of the episode. Do you mind trading places with me, Mr. Lucas? <laughs> so Mr. Harmon comes down dressed in an air raid uniform with the helmet and everything, right? Because White he's hat. taking his security position really uh, seriously. And he's got Mr. Patel from the accounts department mm-hmm. uh, continuing the stereotype that South Asians work in accounts and handle money. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, – Mr. Patel is played by Renu Setna, who was in seven episodes of It Ain't Half Hot Mom. So yeah. part of the Croft and, Loft, uh, Croft and Lloyd troupe. So is he the second or the third – non-white person on the show. Well, let's right? see. We had, we had Mr. Kato. The little boy. We had Mr. Kato. Kato. We had the little boy that finally saw Father Santa, Father Santa, um, Christmas looking like him. Yeah. Um, we had all of the Middle Eastern people with the Emir. Mm, true. True, right? true, true. And then we had uh, Muhammad in the last episode and Mr. Patel here. I, so, so very few people of color... Uh, on this show, so much that you can pretty much count on one hand. Yeah, people people who had speaking lines. Let's say. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah, and so he gives the instructions that the machine will scan you and compare you with the identity photograph that the personnel department has on record. And of course, Mr. Humphreys has to mimic the word machine because someone's speaking with a funny accent. Have to po- make fun and point fingers. Yeah. 
And so Captain Peacock goes first because, of course, he has seniority. And the machine says, do not pay out. Do not do pay, not pay out. out. It's so Doctor Who, right? And then we actually hear a Doctor Who joke that I didn't get way back in the day. Because um, Mr. Lucas says something like, maybe a dialect, Dalek um, ate his money or something. Oh, I didn't pick up on that at yeah. all. Yeah. So if you're okay. not, because you're not a sci-fi person, we understand. I'm not. I'm not. Um, Mr. Jeff is not a science fiction fan, so he doesn't know Doctor Who. Uh, but I bet a lot of our listeners do because they're kind of overlappy a little bit. But um, a Dalek is like this strange kind of gross like enemy guy. And it, it almost looks like if you took... R2-D2 from Star Wars made it taller and added, like, a plunger on the end of it. And that was, like, the horrible <laughs> enemy. And it looks kind of bad. And it's kind of cute how bad it looks. But, yeah, when I, of course, back when, in the 90s in Arkansas, I had no idea what Doctor Who was. So, yeah, a little uh, overlap of uh, 1970s sci-fi right there. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out the reason the machine does not pay out is because in <laughs> Captain Peacock's personnel picture, he was wearing a pirate's costume for the Grace Bl- Brothers Players production of the Pirates of Penzance, right? Right. Um, do you know what the Pirates of Penzance is? How familiar are you with I'm not. I mean, that? I know Penzance is like a little town in southwestern England that's like kind of fancy, but I don't really know much about it. Well, we're going to have our second reference to opera in this episode, right? Because uh, The Pirates of Penzance is a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta from 1879, Mm -hmm. which is probably most famously known for the patter song, I Am the Very Model of a Modern Major General. I'm information, vegetable, animal, or mineral. Exactly, right? Uh, And so he played – Captain – Peacock played Frederick, of course, because he's the lead, because Captain Peacock is the best at everything, right? Of course. And uh, simple plot, uh, Frederick was born on Leap Year, and he is indentured to the pirates until his 21st birthday, which means he's got another 60-something years of servitude, right? Because it's his, the 21st birthday, not 21 years He needs years to hire an, an attorney. Uh, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> but then we wouldn't have an operetta, so. Right. So they, they start figuring out what can he put on his head to mimic the red cap and the um, eye patch, and so... Miss Brahms pulls over the tiniest bra from a mannequin and a pair of red knickers. And she says, yeah, shove that in your mince pie. A little bit of Cockney rhyming slang, which we haven't had in a while, oh, have yeah. we, Mr. Brown? I didn't even notice that. Because yeah. mince pie, I was thinking of, like, your mouth, because that's where you eat. But that doesn't make sense. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, uh... Captain Peacock wants his paycheck, so he hurriedly puts it on his head and tries to repose for the picture. And that's the end of the payout machine. And it was supposed to be hilarious because he just kind of stood there. And you can tell that everyone was expecting the audience to laugh, but they didn't. No, it was sort of like, okay, he has something red. He has a pair of panties on his head. Mild laughter. Okay. And I love that the point of display system this, this episode is this weird machine that they that they come out with, yeah, and it was sort of like okay, I don't know. All right, this is probably very advanced technology for 1979, because when did cash points or ATM start to become popular? Oh, I think it must have been well, maybe like the very first ones, maybe the late 70s or early, right. early 80s. But you know, now that I think of, now that I mentioned Doctor Who, I'm even <laughs> the 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 voice. Do not pay out. Do not pay out. 
that sort of sounds Doctor Whovian to me. I, of course, mm. Jeff is looking confused. Um, <laughs> but if you're a, a Doctor Who fan, especially from the 70s, because Doctor Who has been in production, not continually, but like for decades. It was in the 70s, even the 60s. Dare I say 1959? I don't remember. But um, the 70s episodes were really lovingly corny, is what I'll say. And I hope the UK folks don't like start hate mailing us. But um, like the, the, <laughs> the, the costumes and there were aliens and stuff. So like the special effects were a little cheesy. But of course, everything was back then. But a lot of the um, like the Daleks, they, they're these alien, horrible monster people. They, they have these voices, and it's like the, the voice of the actor is modulated to make it sound spacey. But they kind of talk like this. And then you hear <laughs> the machine, do not pay out. And I'm like, that's a Dalek. They're kind of making fun of Daleks, maybe? Because I don't well, know. You know. It was I this mean, weird thing. Not, not having the Doctor Who reference in my back pocket, I thought that this was a representation of the mid-century futuristic fantasy, right? Because if you take a look at any kind of futuristic film or television from 50s, 60s, 70s, and probably even the very early 80s, it's all about shiny metallic, shiny aluminum, mm, those yeah, LED lights that are flashing, um, uh, television screens that show radio waves, right? It was all <laughs> yeah. that sort of like idea, like that the jet, what the Jetsons were, right? So yeah. the pi- picture of the future didn't really change until the 80s, until we got into like that laser, uh, 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 that laser representation of what the future would look like. Which right? takes us back to Pink, Pink Floyd. So there full you circle. go. Full See? circle, right? <laughs> um, we, cut on da- we cut down to the canteen and Mr. Goldberg is alone, hopefully envelopes full of cash, right? Mm. And uh, Mr. Humphreys comes up and it, it turns out that Mr. Goldberg runs an employment agency on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and he only charges the first week's wages in order to secure a new job for someone, um, which is, when you think about it, about one week of the year, that's about 2% of your salary. Nowadays, if an employer wants to use a headhunter or a recruiter to find someone, they charge up to 20%. So of forget the yearly about, salary. Of the, of the salary, right. Wow. So, I mean, forget about uh, adjusting for inflation, 2%. Is a pretty good deal, yeah. but this is coming from the the job seeker, not the company that's uh, that's uh, doing the hiring, right? Yeah. So uh, he took about one hundred and thirty pounds last week, which would be six hundred and sixty pounds today, or about nine hundred and twenty dollars. So that's a good little chunk of change to supplement of, your own. Income, I want to work right? at Grace Brothers. Shit. <laughs> no, not at Grace Brothers at McVitie's employment agency. Oh, right? oh yes, no, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so Mr. Goldberg, Mr. Goldberg, uh, puts a toe in the water to see if Mr. Humphreys is interested and asks him to whisper his salary. And mm. he does. And he says, what a liberty. So who does that remind you? Oh of? yeah. Um, 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 the Nan from, yep. um, Catherine Tate. There you go. Yeah. Fucking liberty. What a fucking liberty. <laughs> uh, he's, so Mr. Goldberg tells him what he could get him at Harrods and Mr. Humphreys is, 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 is interested immediately, right? Mm, yeah. So, Just for uh, selling things. Mr. Goldberg uh, makes Mr. Humphreys sign a contract. And we get into that bit. Whatever anyone on television or movies has to sign something. Initial here. Sign here, sign yeah. here. You do a lot of signatures. It wasn't until I had my first mortgage that I realized how realistic that was. Because when you go to closing for your mortgage, you have to sign... 
this huge document. Oh, you in... mean for Jeffrey Estates? Yes. No, it's, <laughs> the palm trees you added in the back garden are beautiful, by the way. Um, you have to sign at least two dozen times. And you're signing the same thing over and over and over again, right? And yeah. the lawyer is telling you, this is what this means and this is what this means. And you're just like, you, your hand cramps up, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Mrs. Slocum enters the canteen next, and she's talking in code, you know, in coded language to Mr. Goldberg and says, nope, you could speak freely, Mr. Fr- friend of Mr. Humphreys. He's also a client of mine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he's putting out feelers at Dorothy Perkins as the head of Ladies' Foundations and also a head fitter at Atco, right? So Dorothy Perkins is a real store. Uh, what is Women's found- Ladies' Foundations? Is that either like substructure material for, for like home goods? Like sort of. So foundation blocks? foundation garments. Oh, that would so, make more. I was picturing like pink and blue, like tinted concrete blocks for like basements. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, it's oh. underoos, right? Okay. And, and um, apparently Adco makes lawnmowers and she has no interest in selling lawnmowers until she learns the salary. Are these motorized or push along? Right? And she does it without dropping a beat. She's no. like, Motor- motorized or push alongs? <laughs> so I can start doing my research. So cute. Exactly. <laughs> um, the canteen manageress comes in and <gasps> she's very friendly, right? And she refills Mr. Goldberg's coffee. And uh, it turns out that she got a new job as the head tosser at the Gay Hussar Pancake House. Okay, so, so I thought the word yep. tosser yep. was kind of, well, was very much an insult. It is. So right, the fact that she's so gross that she got hired as like the chief, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, of, of another way to say it. A tosser well, is someone who, well, historically they used to troll up and down the t- River Thames at low tide and find little pieces of bone. Right. To make bone china. So it was sort of like the worst job you could get. Right. But I think here, this is more like um, a, uh, 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 well, whatever the female, because, you know, she can't just be a maitre d. She's got to feminize the, the word. So matress d. Yeah. Matress d. Yeah. Head hostess. Right. Yeah. Um, so the Gay Hussar Pancake House, that is a play on a very famous restaurant in Soho that served Hungarian food mm. uh, called the Gay Hussar. And it closed in 2018. And one of the reasons why it was so famous is because it um, served many politicians. This was oh, one okay. of those places that they would go to eat, much like um, the Watergate Hotel. was. Oh. The Watergate Hotel was very famous in D.C. for – Hosting politicians and also for their um, their Waldorf salad, I believe. Now I'm getting or, hungry. Yeah. Um, but this is also a throwback to Series 2, Episode 1, The Clock. Before the retirement dinner, mm-hmm. Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Lucas um, killed some time by going to the Oklahoma Pancake House for a cocoa and a Danish pastry. That's right. All right. So mm. um, Miss uh, Yarborough's uh, – I'm oh, sorry – her and Mr. Goldberg are on first name basis, like because he calls her Diana. So that's you know he doesn't even call his coworkers by their first names, but her. Oh, what a fucking liberty! The most obstreperous <laughs> woman in the entire store. They're on first name terms, right? No, uh, so, I might have been truculent, but I was not obstinate. <laughs> so her assistant Madge brings him the telephone, right? Uh, this is in the days before cordless telephones, before mobile telephones. So. 
in restaurants and in some stores, they'd have these telephones on very long cords that they could bring out to the dining room in case a, a VIP customer got and that, an important Yeah, because that would have been yeah. like the height of celebrity or power. Because yeah. you, like a celebrity, like a, a politician, um, a, a crowned person, or like the CEO of a company. Otherwise, no, you're going to go and take it or, you know, whatever. That's right, you know, because if... Sign um, of respect. Did you watch Mad Men? I did. Yeah. I believe that I have a lot of visuals in my head of people in restaurants being brought telephones. Yeah. Well, yeah. of course, he was uh, like the, the guy, the lead guy in the, in the TV show. He was pretty powerful. He was like a yep. big, big-time muckety-muck. Advertising exec, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, the person on the phone for Mr. Goldberg is from the personnel department of Lallian Willits. So I'm glad that this has become a recurring joke. I know. Right. So cute. Uh, and there's a call for McVitie's Employment Agency. Mm. So if anyone did not get the joke from our sponsor gag, uh, McVitie's is the name of a very popular brand of digestive biscuits called Hobnobs. What's a digestive biscuit, Mr. Jeff? So it is a healthy cookie, right? It's basically an oat cookie uh, that is covered in um, chocolate usually, and it's taken with tea. And because it's very made with a lot of fiber, it's supposed to be somewhat healthy, and it's Makes called a digestive biscuit. Just say it. Just say it. Yeah, right. it's, it's something we don't have in the States. You can't find them even like at Walmart, in grocery stores, Kroger's, whatever. But like in the international – if it's like a Walmart grocery store, you'll – find it in like the international area <laughs> yeah you, you might be able to find it in the international food section if you go to um a cost um a cost plus or a world market yeah so they'll have it there or amazon um but they're pretty good i mean it's it's they're crumbly it's not like um chips ahoy um but it does have like this toothy oat kind of thing so it's kind of it makes you think it's healthy but it probably isn't very healthy but it's good. If you've not tried them, try them. If you've ever had a Belvita uh, breakfast cookie, it's yeah. a little bit similar to that. Um, I, I do not recommend buying them on Amazon because they are so expensive on Amazon. Um, I have a friend who is a big fan of Hobnobs. And whenever I uh, used to travel back to the UK, I'd always make sure to bring her back some because – they were like five or ten times the price to buy on Amazon. So, but of course, you uh, had to fly to London, Jeff. You realize to to get I these, know, these I special know, deals. So it, there, I, there's a cost, right? But I think that uh, <laughs> I think that our dear unanimous listeners would be better suited on the hunt for them in the international foods aisle of their supermarket or um, Cost Plus or, uh, World Market. Christmas tree shops might have them sometimes. And I think next Christmas, next holiday time, Mr. Jeff would appreciate you to uh, send them to That Does Suit Madam Studios, care of Northern Mississippi. Northern Mississippi, yep. <laughs> and if you do live in the UK and you have a sale on McVitie's um, or Hobnobs or something, um, would you take a photo of you next to the sale and send it to us on Facebook? That would be kind of <laughs> cool. Just to rub it in Mr. Jeff's face. So Mr. Goldberg is talking <laughs> up his two new clients uh, Mrs. Slocum, you know, uh, what's her what like? Oh, it's big, right? He gives her like a look like over at her, like her chest and like her over her general like stature. And it's like, oh, I'm talking about your personality. And she, <laughs> big, you know, she nods. Very big. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then he turns to Mr. Humphreys. And so he he's on the phone talking him. to some guy and right. the guy's asking him questions. Yeah. 
Right. And so then he starts describing Mr. Humphreys that he's got charm and vitality and personality and experience. And youth. And youth. Don't forget youth, right? Is he a what? And he starts looking him up and down and starts chuckling him. The joke being, is he a puff is what we're supposed to get asked. Yeah, yeah. But then we find out, you're not a militant trade unionist, are you, Mr. Humphreys? Uh, with these suede shoes, I'd be laughed off the platform, right? <laughs> yeah, which I, I wonder if we kind of need to open that up a little bit, just because a trade union, like if you think of someone in a union and a mm-hmm. trade unionist, someone who's probably like involved in the organization of the union, which we have to explain this stuff because they're all but banned in the United States with, with some exceptional exceptions. Um, but the idea is Mr. F- Mr. Humphreys thinks that he is too fancy to be in a union. Well, I mean, of course, he is in a union, but, like, to be someone who was involved with it, which is right. kind of Mr. Humphreys asserting his um, signaling his that he belongs to, like, the middle class kind of thing. Right. And, you know, we, we've been talking on recent episodes that we are in the Thatcher era now, right? Yeah, and, that's you know, right. Thatcher had run on a platform of getting rid of a lot of the union. So uh, being pro-union or anti-union was very big in... Um, uh, in British society at that time, right? Yeah, and, and we see that in the show. So uh, Mr. Goldberg reveals that he's got a, a lot of satisfied clients in the past, mm-hmm. uh, and one of his most recent clients gave him an 18-carat pocket watch Ooh. that's inscribed. And so Mr. Humphreys reads it out, I couldn't have done it without you, love Maggie. And then they're <gasps> trying to figure out who Maggie is, and then you see over the, in, the incidental music, Mr. Humphreys mime someone with, like, hair... Of course, Margaret Thatcher, like we were just talking about. So this is to set the stage that Mr. Goldberg is very good at what he does. He even got the prime minister her job. (laughs) That's pretty good. Why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break? Yeah, all this talk of tea has made me a bit parched. We'll be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. Mr. Brandon, now that um, it's we know it's the canteen manageress's last day, she's been in such a good mood. She actually gave me a refill on my Earl Grey tea. Yeah, and I said, fill it up to the chip in the cup. And she said, absolutely, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we cut over to young Mr. Grace's office, and Miss Bakewell is guiding his hand as he signs some papers, right? Um, the nurse brings in some glasses, and they're comically thick. No, right? hold on a second. Uh, hold on. Now, let's rewind just a sec. Miss Bakewell says, would you like me to guide your hand again, sir? And then Mr. Gray says, yes, you're quite good at that. 
Oh yeah. What the hell? Yeah, we does that mean? No, that was a sexual innuendo. Is that just like uh, she's like handing? She has a job involving her hand. Third base. Yes, that's exactly what that means. Nurse brings in some glasses for him to try on. They're comically thick, uh, horn-rimmed reading glasses that make him look like an old poof. No, no, they make you look like Elton John, which is funny now in 2021 because Elton John is an old poof, right? Well, I'm, you know, one thing, I was a little kind of shocked that poof is kind of like the F word, right? Or what do it's, we feel about that? Uh, I don't think it is as strong as the F word. It's definitely in the slur end of the spectrum. But I don't think it carries all of the same weight. Well, I remember there uh, was as it does. This is many episodes ago. I, I recounted as I am wont to do uh, about watching a video when I was a kid of John Inman in Arkansas, like helping a yep. PBS station, where he talks about he uses the word "puff," and we had this long chat about because I'm because it's me talking. It was probably very long um, <laughs> about what does that mean and how that means like the F word. You know, and so it's just kind of weird, and you know, for her, for him to say it, uh, Mister Mister Grace, and then the the lovely low voiced nurse to say, "Oh, I think it makes you look like Elton John," which, of course, at the time he technically wasn't gay, but I think he right. was technically bi. But um, it was an open secret, right? Yeah. So, gotta love Elton, though. Come on, people. So then the nurse makes uh, Mr. Grace do an eye test with the reading glasses to see if they work. So she pulls up a standard eye chart and he says, confidently says, A, because that's the first line. Yeah. And then the rest is in Polish. Right? <laughs> that, that cracked me up to no end because he's trying to make it read like words. And it actually tries to make out like a name like Sydney Fogbottom. Now, what's, right? cute, what's cute about this is, and, is the Americans – we probably wouldn't get kind of how charming this is. There is a, I would say, a sizable Polish population in the UK, maybe more these days than it was back then. But you would see, like, Polish language, like, on newspapers and magazines and just around, you know, not everywhere, but, you know, you would here and there. Like, you might see some Arabic here and there and some right. German. Whatever. Like, in the States, we, uh, you know, maybe in New York City is the one ex- uh, exception, but... I've never really seen Polish language anywhere, really. So I I do recall having grown up in New York City, you know, going to the corner store. There's a wide selection of international newspapers. You know, there's always uh, a French newspaper, an Italian newspaper, and a Polish newspaper. Now, if you go to Chicago, Chicago has a very large Polish uh, population. So oh. public, so signs in like um, public transit. And uh, ATMs will be in Spanish and Polish are the the um, the three options. Really, I had no yeah. idea. I yeah. need to get out more apparently. Yeah. But yeah, it's cute to see Mr. Grace like reading it as if it's Polish, which is as if so it's a cute. word, right? Yeah. Sydney Fogbottom, right? <laughs> well, no, no, Mr. Grace, can you can you see the the bottom line? What does it say on the bottom? He's looking over at Miss Bakewell, <laughs> who's bending over filing cabinet. Of course, that's all they do in that office is bend over. Right. You know. And says, wash by hand in lukewarm water, right? <laughs> Theoretically reading the instructions. Because he's got these necklace, really right? great new glasses, which, you know. Right. 
So Mr. Peacock and Rumbold arrive, and Mr. Rumble tries to explain that the staff are being poached. But he does it in his Rumble-like way, where a certain person is making certain advances to certain members of staff, and certainly, like, blah, 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 to the point that Mr. Grace has fallen asleep, right? <laughs> um, so Miss Bakewell wakes him up by shouting from across the room, Oh, no, my suspender's gone again, which he immediately reacts to and wakes <laughs> up, right? Yeah. Um, he leaves uh, Rumble to deal with it and uh, falls back asleep. And Mr. Rumble doesn't know what to do, so he asks for Peacock's suggestion. Of course. And Captain Peacock says, well, I've got, I, from my, from my uh, viewpoint, you've got three options. Sack them, wait for them to re- resign, or pay them more money. And, and Mr. Grace wakes up, why would it do that, right? Yeah. In the end, Mr. Rumble decides to do nothing and hope it blows over. Which Thank is you very a, a much. very high level of, uh, type of strategy yeah. only someone of that caliber and management could do, Captain Peacock points exactly. out. Exactly. Doing right. nothing. Back over on the floor, Mr. Goldberg gets a call that both Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Humphreys are going to get new jobs in Lally and Willets. Mr. Humphreys at the unisex clothing department. And Mrs. Slocum at the Pussy Shampoo Parlor. I love how they're both, like, perfect for them. M- right, Mr. Lucas says, that, unisex clothing department, that'll be sure to confuse that'll you, won't confuse it? That'll confuse you. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd think that Mrs. Slocum just co- told that she won Dad's Lotto because she, I'll be in seventh heaven. I'll be heaven. in seventh heaven. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they immediately go to resign, but Mr. Goldberg says they should try to get sacked because then they can go to tribunal and get a settlement. Uh, for a severance package. So now they decide to start being as mean as they can to Captain Peacock. So what that means is, like, he wants them to get fired so they can then take Grace Brothers to court and say, oh, I was discriminated against, and then they work out some, like, out-of-court negotiated settlement. Right. Which Mr. Goldberg will take a percentage of. See, as a kid, I didn't know what any of that meant, and I wonder, like, that wouldn't happen today. Like, let's say I'm working at um, a butcher's. I don't know. I'm a butcher, and and I get fired. Can I then, I guess, sue them and say, oh, I was discriminated? Okay, I guess you could do that. I don't think it would work. Maybe in 1979 in the U.K. it was a little different. Well, employment laws in the United States are very different than they are in the rest of the world. Most of our employment here in the States is at will, meaning your employer can fire you at any time for reason or no reason. Mm. And you can also quit for no reason, right? Um, Montana is a notable exception. You have to have an employment contract in the state of Montana. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, But, you know, when you think about also in other countries, you don't give – two weeks notice you have to give like a month long notice and like work it out as a lame duck Hmm. and like the process for laying off is like absurdly ridiculous about following the law the letter law and how much notification you have to give and etc like it's uh employment laws around the world are very complex especially compared to ours right Mr. Humphreys uh, goes first, and he walks over like John Wayne when Captain Peacock calls him over. And he tries his best to be rude and get sacked. Um, but then he ends up capitulating to say, I'm just going to go back and tidy my counter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Such a cute swagger. I, I thought, how adorable. He's trying to be what he thinks men are. Right. <laughs> trying to be what, man, what manly is. Manly, right? yeah, yeah. And finally stand up to, to Captain Peacock. But over on the ladies' counter, Mrs. Maxwell, who was the wife of one of the directors, assuming, like, directors of the board, mm-hmm. uh, needs some serving, right? 
And so she does. And Mrs. Slocum takes this opportunity to be as rude as possible so that Captain Peacock will fire her on the spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mrs. Maxwell is trying to return something and Mrs. Slocum decides, well, the skirt is too expensive for you because, oh no, how does it go? Um, the color glow goes with your blotchy complexion. It's too expensive because you're a mean old bag and it rides up because you've got a great big fat bump. Oh, how Meanwhile, dare. Mrs. Maxwell nearly faints at the end. It insults, looks like she's right? being physically pained. I felt so sad for her at the end. Someone took the knife and like jabbed it in her side. Um, mm-hmm. The staff are brought up to Mr. Rumbold's office, and it turns out that not only uh, that Mr. Humphreys had served the Honorable Lavinia Effingham Foxworth um, and said, Hello, Dolly, baby, you've got the best bear of boobs I've seen since the confessions of Swedish Emmanuel's window cleaner. That is a mouthful. <laughs> um, yes, it is. So uh, Emmanuel, as we've discussed in previous episodes, is a French series of blue movies. Uh, and so this was Mr. Humphrey, again, trying to be what he thinks manly is and make a pass at this woman to offend her, right? <laughs> I love that Mr. Okay, this is so cute. Mr. Humphreys' idea of what a masculine man would do to, to say to a woman, hello, Dolly Baby, you've got the best pair of boobs I've ever seen since this porn. Right. <laughs> you've got the best pair of boobs. Oh, jeez. How about meeting me in the park behind the bandstand and we'll pitch a little woo? <laughs> I love that um, – so at that point – so pitch a little woo is such an old-fashioned term, right? Right. And then Mr. H- Mr. Rumbold says, Mr. Humphreys, I'm surprised that you would watch a movie of that type. Because, you know, Mr. Humphreys – I was under is, therapy at the time. Yes, Mr. Humphreys <laughs> is like quite the good little boy and I was under therapy. And then uh, – and uh, uh, what does he say? Um, how about meeting me in the park behind the bandstand and we'll pitch a little woo together. Well, what movie is that from? And then he says – Husband Snatchers of 1938. <laughs> That's not what the movie was. Something like that. <laughs> something, something of 1938. Because behind the bandstand, I was thinking, they don't have bandstands in London <laughs> or the England. Uh, but then when he says, oh, I saw it in this old movie from 1938, Pitch a Little Woo, it's like from the 30s. You don't, you don't hear people say well, that. Well, everything from that store is from the 30s. I know, and it's and so dead, funny. Right? So it makes <laughs> sense. Well, it turns out these two customers wrote letters I don't know how quickly they got these letters sent over. Like, did they do it, like, you know, by carrier pigeon or whatever? But they got there the same afternoon. Mrs. Maxwell, it turns out, is the leader of a religious sect called Morning Glory, which requires absolute honesty. And Mrs. Slocum is the first truly honest person she's ever met and invited her to their next meeting, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, Miss Foxworth has sent a letter saying... Uh, 5.30 works great. I'll take all the woo you can pitch. <gasps> Mr. Humphrey didn't so, know which way to turn, which was unusual for him. It is, it is indeed. <laughs> Neither of them were getting fired, right? Of course. So eventually the truth comes out that uh, they're going to get um, – they've been offered new jobs elsewhere and they want to quit. Well, Mr. Rumbold takes the unusual position of countering with new contracts oh with 50% rises. Whoa. That's huge. Even by today's standards, a 50% rise is huge. Well, they were getting paid so little, right? They could never find anyone to, to work at the wage that they were being paid. and Right. Yeah, but good for but, them. They need a bit of a boost. But once Mr. Rumbold finds out what they were offered at Lally and Willits, Mr. Rumbold and Captain Peacock are now also clients of Mr. Goldberg's. <laughs> so rather than turning him in... 
and uh, punishing him for trying to poach the employees, mm -hmm. they're now his clients as well, right? Mr. Goldberg tries to take away their pay packets because the first week's wages are part of their contract. And right? they did get new positions, so, didn't they? Or new, new kind right. of contract. Uh, Mrs. Slocum rips up the contract and walking away, Mr. Humphrey says, sue us, right? I was expecting her to jump up and down and stamp Me on too. it. Me too. Because that's what they do Like with it paper, was a bowler right? hat. Right. <laughs> uh, Mr. Humphreys, uh, it's the end of the day. Mr. Humphreys leaves right away because he's going to meet Miss Foxworth. I don't pitch my woo in public. And that's the anticlimactic end of the episode. Uh, yeah. Well, as a 13-year-old, I don't pitch my woo in public. I'm like, I, I understand what that means. He's not going to flirt with a man, you know, or... Whatever with a man. I think pitching woo is a bit more than flirting, I think. So what'd you think? Um, interesting. Like in New York City, you, you use employment agencies to get jobs and get positions. So this was at 12 or 13 years old. This was like my first introduction to employment referencing and, and uh, referrals and all of that stuff. Um um, it was okay. I think maybe this is my least favorite episode of season seven so far. But I like the idea okay. of like people making little companies and like backstabby and um, it was okay. I think we have more exciting ones to come. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think this was an okay episode. You know, I think we had – I think we've already passed the peak of our tops of season seven. But still, this is good because there's a lot of uh, comic effect. We get um, a complete change of character with the canteen manageress, and we get all of the little conflicts built up with uh, with um, everyone teaming up with Mr. Goldberg against the company. Yeah, right. Um, this is great. You know, next week though, um, we're marking the end of an era because no. it is the Christmas special for season seven, the Punch and Judy affair. Mm -hmm. And this is the last time that we're going to see Mr. Lucas, Mr. Goldberg, and Miss Beakwell. Oh, no. That's really sad. Go Goldberg, I like. Lucas is like one of your family members. Right. And Miss Beakwell, okay. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll, be, they'll be another secretary, right? Yeah, but um, yeah, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, we're, yeah. next season is eight, and there are only, what, 12 or 10 seasons? Ten seasons, Ten seasons. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting up to the end, folks. What are you going to do? Oh, my God. Yeah, so pretty soon we're going to start Series 8, where we get to the end of the rotating senior salesman. We've got uh, Mr. Klein and Mr. Grossman to get through in Season 8. And then Season 9 and 10, there is no senior salesman. Um, but then we also enter the Spooner years, the Mr. Spooner years. Oh, yes. Come on. Golly gosh. Well, so, hey, it's been um, good so far in Season 7. We have one episode left. We may or may not have a special special uh, co-host with us, special super fan. We'll see how that works out. Spoiler alert. Yep. whoops. Um, there we go. But, hey, if you want to get in touch with us, you know what to do. Go on our Facebook page. Twitter is Does Suit Madam. Hello to the Twitter people. Uh, you can send us an email at that does suit madam with an e at gmail.com or call the Peacock Hotline at 662 Peacock 662 732 2625. 
And with that, Mr. Jeff, you've all done done very well. well. Bye, unanimous. Bye. That Desert Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. During the term of this agreement and for one year thereafter, employees shall not solicit or encourage any person to leave the employment or other service of the company.